English Teachers Who Teach English featuring Mr. Davis and guest starring Mr. Winger. Welcome to the newest installment of English Teachers Who Teach English featuring Mr. Davis. We have our next episode in our short story series by Edgar Allan Poe, The Cask of Amontillado. It's quite a morbid story about uh, revenge and how you shouldn't make fun of people because they may uh, seal you in a basement wall, essentially. Um... Let's break down the title real quickly, though, and a little bit about Edgar Allan Poe, who wrote the story. Edgar Allan Poe, he's a Baltimore-slash-Richmond boy who uh, lives quite the life of drugs, alcohol, um, you know, marrying his cousin and stuff like that. You know, typical, normal behavior in the 1800s. But that's neither here nor there. The Cask of Amontillado takes place in the carnival season in Italy. And Amontillado is a light brown sherry, which I have personally had the dishonor of trying. And let me tell you, it's awful. I personally wouldn't follow anyone into any sort of uh, location for Amontillado. Um, it's pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, don't ever try it. But it does make a good story of jealousy, revenge, and death. So therefore, without further ado, I present to you... Edgar Allan Poe's The Cask of Amontillado. <laughs> the Cask of Amontillado by Edgar Allan Poe. Read by Mr. Davis. Featuring Mr. Wanger. The thousand entries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitely settled, but the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed, when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. 
It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my good will. I continued as I as my wont to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was at the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato, although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself on the connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. Their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity, to practice imposture upon the British and Austrian millionaires. In painting and gemmery, Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack. But in the matter of old wines, he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skillful in Italian vintages myself, and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk one evening, during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. He had on a tight-fitting, party-striped dress, and his head was surrounded or surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done ringling or wringing his hand. I said to him, "My dear Fortunato, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you are looking today! But I have received a pipe of what passes for Montiato, and I have my doubts." How? He said, "Amontillado, a pipe." Impossible! And in the middle of carnival! I have my doubts, I replied, and I was silly not to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You are not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado! I have my doubts. Amontillado! And I must satisfy them. Amontillado! As you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucchesi. If anyone has a critical turn in it, is he. He will tell me. Lucchesi cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let's go. Whither? To your vaults. My friend, no, I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have... An engagement. Lucchesi? I have no engagements. Come. My friend, no. It is not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. They are encrusted in nitre. Hmm. Let us go, nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amatiato, you have been imposed upon. And as for Lucchesi... He got distinguished Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm and putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a roclacleoir closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I had told them that I should not return until the morning, and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. 
These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. I took from their scones two flambeaux, and giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suits of the rooms to the archway that led him into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came, at length, to the foot of the descent and stood together upon the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. The pipe, he said. It is further on, I said, but observe the white webwork which gleamed from these cavern walls. He turned towards me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. Uh, Niter? He asked at length. Niter, I replied. Huh? How long have you had that cough? My poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It's the thing. He said at last. Come, I said with decision. We will go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me, that is no matter. We will go back and you will be ill and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there's Lucchesi. Enough! He said. The cough is a mere <coughs> nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, true, I replied. And indeed, I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily. But you should use, you should use all proper precaution. A draft of the Midoc will defend us from the damps. Here I knocked off a neck of the bottle which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mold. Drink, I said, presenting him with the wine. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly while his bells jingled. Uh, uh, drink, he said, to the buried that repose around us. And I to your long life. He again took my arm and we proceeded. These vaults, he said, are extensive. The Montresors, I replied, were a great and numerous family. I forget your arms. A huge human door doit in a field azure. The foot crushes the serpent rampant, whose fangs are embedded in the heel. Mm. And the motto? Nemo me impune lasse. Good, he said. The wine sparkled in his eyes, and the bells jingled. (laughs) My own fancy grew warm. The Midoc. We had passed through the long halls of piled skeletons with casks and puncheons, intermingling into the inmost recesses of the catacombs. I paused again, and this time I made bold to seize Fortunato by an arm above the elbow. The Niter, I said. See, it increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle among the bones. Come, we will go back ere it is too late. 
Your cough. It is nothing, he said. Let's go on, but first, another draft of Medak. I broke and reached him a flagon of De Grave. He emptied it at his breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upwards with gesticulation. I did not understand. Shh! Bottle break. I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the moment, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend? He said. Not I, I replied. <laughs> then you are not of the Brotherhood. How? You are not of the Masons. Yes, yes, I said. Yes, yes. You? Impossible. A Mason? A Mason, I replied. A sign. He said. A sign. It is this, I answered, producing from beneath my, the folds of my wakralar a... A trowel. You jest! He exclaimed, recoiling a few pieces. But let us proceed to the Amontillado. Be it so, I said, replacing the tool beneath the cloak and again offering him my arm. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, and descending again, arriving at a deep crypt in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeau rather to glow than flare. At the most remote end of the crypt there appeared another less spacious. It is, its walls had been lined with human remains piled to the vault overhead in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of the interior crypt were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth side, the bones had been thrown down and lay promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the walls thus exposed by displacing of the bones, we perceived its still interior crypt or recess, in depth about four feet, in width three, in height six or seven. It seemed to have been constructed for no especial use within itself, but for merely the interval between the two of the colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs, and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite. It was in vain that Fortunato, uplifting his dull torch, endeavored to pry into the depth of the recess. Its termination, the feeble light, did not enable us to see. Proceed, I said. Herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucchesi... He is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend as he stepped unsteadily forward, while I followed immediately at his heels. In an instant, he had reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress arrested by the rock, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples distant from each other about two feet horizontally. From one of these depended a short chain from the other padlock. During the links about his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was too much astounded to resist. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand, I said, over the wall. You cannot 
You cannot help feeling the nighter. Indeed, it is very damp. One more, let me implore you to return. No? Then I must positively leave you. But I must first render you all the little attentions in my power. The Amontillado! Ejaculated my friend, not yet recovered from his astonishment. True, I replied. The Amontillado. As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones of which I have spoken before. Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stones and mortar. With these materials and with the aid of my trowel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had a great measure worn off. The earliest indication I have, I had of this was the low moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate, obstinate silence. I laid there. I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth. And then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted for several minutes. Several minutes. Several minutes. During which that I might hearken to it with the more satisfaction. I ceased my labors and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon a level of my breast. I again paused and holding the flambeau over the mason work, threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within a succession of loud and shrill ah, screams, ah, ah, ah. bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form, seemed to thrust me with violent back. For a brief moment I hesitated. I even trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope it about the recess, but the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs, and I felt satisfied. I re-approached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I re-echoed, I aided, I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and the clamor grew still. It was now midnight, and my task was drawing to a close. I had completed the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth tier. I had finished a portion of the last and the eleventh. There remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its dis dis destined position, but now there came from out a niche a low laugh that erected the hairs upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognizing as that of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, <laughs> Make a joke, indeed, excellent chest. We'll have many rich laugh at the palazzo. <laughs> uh, over our, our, our wine. <laughs> the Amontillado, I said. <laughs> yes, yeah, the Amontillado. But uh, it's not getting late. Will not they be waiting for us at the palazzo? The, the Lady Fortunato and, and the rest? Let us, let us be gone. 
Yes, I said. Let us be gone. For the love of God, not your soul! Yes, I said. For the love of God. But to these words I hearkened in vain for reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud, Fortunato! No answer. I called again. Fortunato! No answer still. I thrust the torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came a fourth and returned only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick. It was the dampness of the catacombs that made it so. I hastened to make an end of my labor. I forced the last stone into position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I re-erected the old rampant of the bones. For the half a century, no mortal has disturbed them. Impasse resicata. The end for Fortunato. <laughs>was crazy right i mean he montresor took fortunato into his family's catacombs and led him to his death by shackling him and then sealing him up with bricks and mortar how sick is that what's going on in edgar's mind as he creates this stuff it's wild was he tripping on opioids or was he just in love i don't know he's a sick dude but we love him. We love you, Edgar. Shout out to you, bro. Um, what an amazing story. Thank you to Mr. Wenger for contributing your fantastic reading and improv voices for that story. You make the best Fortunato. Until next time, everybody, this is Mr. Davis with your newest installment of English Teachers Who Teach English, and I will see you later. Be, be aware of those who try to lure you into the catacombs. Don't follow those people. Also, last piece of advice, just don't make fun of anybody, okay? All right, see you in class. So long, everybody.